Welcome to episode number 193, Psychological Warfare. I hope that you enjoy these podcasts as much as I enjoy making them. If you get a chance this week, send this podcast to someone who you might feel needs it, or post it to your social media page if you can. I would greatly appreciate it. Now, I listen to a great deal of psychological podcasts. I actually enjoy psychology and the inner workings of the mortal and spiritual mind. I am by nature far more observant than I am social. I tend to watch, learn, and listen. And I am fascinated by people, especially people in this mortality. Why they do what they do. How they come to certain decisions in their life. What causes them to act in certain ways. Thus, you can imagine I enjoy learning from social media. I believe it to be one of the greatest psychological laboratories of our time. We can see what people choose to post. We can, at times, begin to understand them in different ways and even appreciate them. We can also learn how one post can affect others. Now, I realize that social media has its drawbacks in many senses. But for me, it is a fascinating experience experiment in mortality. Now, mortality is a strange experiment in some senses, placing our spirits into bodies that have pre-programmed chemistry and mortal weaknesses does not always seem like a perfect plan, at least from the mortal perspective. I find it striking how much our Father in Heaven values our agency and choice over bringing more of His children back to His exalted spheres. The Lord could give each of us exactly what we needed to return. We could each be granted all the spiritual changes necessary to perfect our souls and be provided perfect bodies to work with. There is no doubt our Father could change the chemistry of our moral body to better suit returning to celestial realms without all these trials. And yet, He does not. He is an omniscient, perfected being with every power and capacity. And yet mortality, as we see it through our mortal eyes, is what He sees as the best training ground for celestial souls and exalted beings. I personally admit to struggling a little to see how mortality, with all its natural man chemistry and mortal weaknesses, is the perfect training ground to create gods. Don't get me wrong, I trust that it is. But at times, especially when dealing with more mental illness than I feel I can handle, I question why this is the perfected methodology for creating eternal beings and endless families stretching into eternity. The more I study and learn about the psychology of mortal man, the chemistry of the mind, emotional connections and feelings, and mortal man's attempts through scientific processes to provide for mental health, the more I am struck by just how much man does not know and how observation does not always provide for the best outcomes. Many individuals are familiar familiar with some of the ideas of these early psychologists, such as Freud, who expounded upon the ideas of mortal and natural man by observation. We tend to focus on his ideas regarding sexuality and the driving forces of the body. Certainly his work has had some influence among others who have observed the natural and mortal man in this celestial environment and have concluded that life is nothing more than a set of biological chemical processes. Biological and neuroscience, biology and neuroscience, appear to be the psychological methods of the day, while embracing some of those past psychologies and attempting to refine it in the future, and I admit they have certainly observed some valuable insights into the working of the mind, and I do find these insights helpful and fascinating to study. 
But the one thing I find prevalent within the psychological culture is a deep focus on the tendencies of the natural man and the chemistry of the mind and body. It is rare to find a psychologist who speaks of spirituality and morality outside of what we observe from the natural world. I recognize that we have a wonderful church, we have wonderful church-oriented psychologists that work within religious moral imperatives and attempt to blend current psychology with spiritual knowledge contained within scripture and other sources of spiritual revelation, but I also find contempt outside of those few religious psychologists for moral imperatives seemingly imposed by a religious society. My basic message in all of this is while science is wonderful and can provide many good solutions, and they do, we need to be cautious of those solutions that don't conform to the Lord's teachings. We are told to follow one's heart, bend to one's inner message or desire. We are fixated to finding ourselves and giving our heart to what it truly desires. And I don't have any issues with that particular message, except that some of our inner core desires is dictated by mortal chemistry. And following that mortal chemistry to its eventual end can lead down dark paths that feel right starting out, but end in murky waters. The world and much of the psychology we see or much of the psychology in the world we see, sees no issues with the tendencies of the natural man and moral chemistry of the body. They see no issues with following that chemistry to where it leads. Naturally, it makes sense to do this if you don't believe that we have a spiritual nature or a spirit. Without a spirit, following moral chemistry would lead to a happiness, and perhaps the only true one available to us. However, when you bring spiritual nature to the forefront and admit knowledge of a premortal existence, then happiness must take on a different meaning. We must see the mortal as the shell and the spiritual as the core. We see ourselves eternal as eternal rather than organized dust that will eventually be again disorganized dust without the possibility of a reorganization. I fully understand the nature of psychology in our world when you remove the spiritual. If you remove the spirit, then happiness is satisfying the moral chemistry. It is as psychology says in today's world. And what we view as that psychology in the world is the answer to the question of happiness, if we did not have those, our spirits. However, when the mortal is viewed as a shell experience and its chemistry as part of a greater whole, then happiness must take on a different meaning based on the spiritual, not on the mortal. Mortal chemistry and the psychology that goes with it needs to work for the spiritual core. And spiritual happiness must take precedence over mortal happiness. This doesn't mean we cannot satisfy our mortal happiness. It means that it must be done within the spiritual context and within the bounds of our spiritual nature if the spirit is to remain within happiness. In some senses, this is the psychological warfare we face in this world. We must satisfy the demands of our spiritual nature to obtain true happiness and then satisfy our mortal nature within the bounds of the spiritual. And yet, everywhere we look, it is the mortal that takes precedence over the spiritual. Individuals basically feeling their way to that great and spacious building rather than the tree of life. Psychology does not necessarily help us in this process, as at times it defends the great and spacious building and some of what it stands for. Yet, in other senses, psychology of the day also denigrates various practices of that same great and spacious building. 
While in one breath, current psychology would see nothing wrong with sexual relationships outside of marriage and the freedom found in expressing sexuality however one sees fit, the same psycholo psychology disparages the sexuality of women and the heavy mental cost of fitting into a, a social ideal that is so far from reality that no woman or person for that matter could ever measure up. Overall, the current psychology gives at times confusing and contending ideas regarding the mortal chemistry of sexuality. Current psychology would say to do what feels right, but in the same breath would say that doesn't work when considering things that would cause harm, such as drugs. So the reality is to do what you feel is right, but do no harm to yourself. They would say that nothing is wrong with encounter sexual encounters, but in the same breath recognize that the same encounters can cause a great deal of harm. When you study only the psychology of the natural man or woman, what you get in return is a natural man or woman that has not improved. I don't think we have to look very far to understand that the majority, that many, current ideas surrounding psychology cause serious harm, such as the use of pornography, which in some psychological circles is harmless and in others it is not. I think you get my point. We need to be extremely careful about all psychological philosophies that do not have a grounding in spiritual laws and nature that have been around since the time of Adam and Eve and even into our pre-mortal lives. We need to be careful about the study of human nature that really only studies human nature in some circles. So now that I have offended every serious student of psychology and angered more than a few church psychologists, I want to focus on the positive. There are many good aspects of psychology that have a wonderful effect upon our mental, our mental health, and we should not through, throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying goes. We can choose healthy psychology that matches with our religious nature and happiness that has been espoused by prophets for generations. We do not need to shun the whole field because a few theories have gone off the rails. It would be similar to shunning medicine because bloodletting used to be a medical practice, or shunning medications in science because pseudo-doctors prescribed opium and cocaine for illnesses. We can pick and choose to use the parts of psychology that work for us as members of the church. While I have used a variety of medications and psychology to help in my own illness, I have found that the study of psychology is extremely beneficial to my illness and understand the issues and help me to understand the issues that I face. Now, I recommend to everyone that they study psychology because if they face, especially if they face the issues of mental health and challenges facing a variety of mental conditions, even outside of mental health, such as ADHD, autism, eating disorders, social disorders, and really so much more. The more we learn about how our brain functions, the better we are able to understand ourselves and why we think and act the way we do. However, we should do so with a multitude of understanding and caution. We should use what works within our spirituality and discard what does not. We should seek to understand the scriptures and the messages contained within the scriptures that benefit our mental health. We need to feed the spiritual and to emphasize the spiritual if we are to ever be at peace. Yes, we must address the mortal as well. Ignoring the mortal body while only attempting to feed the spiritual will result in troubling problems. The mortal body simply cannot be ignored without consequences, and the same is actually true for the spiritual body. As far as our happiness goes, we should understand that true happiness has already been discovered long ago and delineated within the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What this means is that if we search for happiness outside the limits of the gospel, we will only find an alternative happiness. The plan of happiness makes accommodations for these alternative states of happiness, but not within the celestial exalted realms. Every kingdom of glory, including the telestial and terrestrial, are states of happiness, but they are alternate states that do not provide the full measure of happiness and joy that can be experienced. Many individuals will choose these alternate states and say that they have found their happiness. We see this all the time in the world we live, but these alternate states are limiting in many ways. They certainly feel real and can feel very true, but they are only portions of the whole. It can be very frustrating to seek out happiness with mental illness. It seems far more elusive than part of our lives. It can feel as though we are continually crossing over the path of happiness, but never really able to remain on it. Our pursuit at times can lead us to believe that settling for an alternative happiness is really the best we will ever have. I admit that I have felt and believed that at times in my life. But the Lord gracefully has never let me settle for the alternative. I will admit that having mental illness and feeling as though you may one day inherit celestial life do not coexist easily. It can be monumentally difficult to view celestial happiness when you are drowning in the mud pits of an illness that never relents. We may at times see glimpses of light through the torrential downpours, but they are often quickly covered by the dense cloud chemistry of a mortal illness. The fight seems at times just too much to bear, too much to overcome, too much of a burden to ever find enough light to see ourselves as immortal and most of all exalted. But I can say personally, and through what I have learned, that if the Lord has allowed for a mental health challenge, He always provides an ample path. And that path is not some narrow dirt road covered by weeds and debris, hard to see and even harder to find. The Lord provides for a clear path that gives allowances for our illness. We certainly cannot run off the path expecting to find it wherever we go, but the Lord gives great allowance and provides for us to return regularly and quickly as we navigate the trial and the troubles that come with our illness. The greatest lie Lucifer tells us when we suffer is that our illness will never allow us to become as the Savior, that we can never overcome and become celestial in our nature, desires in our heart. The truth is entirely the opposite. The Lord provides for mental illness challenges as a way to provide for our salvation. He can be very forgiving, understanding, and merciful when we face an illness that changes the very nature of our desire, our passions, and our intent. Our illness does not diminish our ability to find exaltation, but actually provides for valuable insights that allow us to more fully understand who we are and to give us a greater perspective into what celestial nature truly is. There is no one that understands happiness and celestial nature more than the person who has been through hell. While it is strange to think that one must experience hell to understand heaven, we find that that is exactly what the Savior did. That is how he became who he was. And it is by experiencing, and it, and it, it was by experiencing the very nature of hell. When we understand hell, we understand heaven more fully and with greater appreciation. Yes, we face psychological warfare on this earth, mortally and spiritually. We are fighting a war that has existed long before this earth. The truth is, is that the war between good and evil has always been a psychological war. We who suffer mental health challenges have simply been placed in the heat of the battle where the carnage is far greater and the pain more intense. 
The gospel has always been a war of the heart and mind. That is true now, and it will always be true. The battle wages around us weekly, daily, and hourly. But the cost of the fight, both personal and within our relationships, is worth the price. The key to the fight is to understand, as the sons of Helaman did, that if we believe and fight, the Lord will not let us fall to the enemy. In our warfare, we are to we are going to have bad days, bad weeks, and significant pain. We will be wounded in the battle, healed by the master healer, and then asked to fight again with all our scars still in the healing process. When we feel we cannot fight further, our Savior comes to our rescue, restores us, and then sends us back into the fight. While there, we will find others bleeding, dying, suffering, and giving up, and while we ourselves are suffering wounds and scars and pains, We are asked to heal and lift others, heal wounds, pour in the balm of Gilead and bind up the battle scars. That is the battle we are in. But we have the promise of the captain of our souls that if we fight the good fight, we shall overcome. And so with our scars, our wounds, and battle suits of armor, we descend into the psychological battle of the world. At times we are weak and tentative because we can still remember the pains of the last fight, At other times, the battle seems to ease, and we can feel a little confidence and optimism. Sometimes we are brought in from the front lines and nourished by angels, and at other times, we are asked to nourish the wounded while in the midst of the fight. The one thing we know, and of which we can be confident, is that the Lord did not send us into the heat of the battle without training, without the ability to overcome. He did not send us without armor and a warrior's mindset. We have been sent to battle to learn, to discover, and to overcome. Ultimately, we have been sent into battle to learn what those wonderful sons of Helaman learned, that God never leaves one who is loyal, that the Savior always wins and saves and protects those who love him and fight the good fight. We who suffer with mental illness are fighting that good fight, the one that truly matters, the fight that determines not just our destiny, but the destiny of many who fight beside us. May the Lord bless you in your fight. May your psychological battles in the pits and trenches of mortality be won by he who has already won the war. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in His this fight and keep you safe. And as always, fight the fight so that the Lord can save you in the battle.